Amen. Isn't it good to be in church today? It's just good to be here, and what a blessing it is to hear the songs and have our spirit stirred a little bit. Uh, boy, the last six or seven months, each day just kind of drains the hope out of you, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like every day something else is going on, something else is happening, and it seems like every day a little bit of hope is siphoned out of you, and yet you come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and God gives you a little injection of hope, and it gets you through to the next service, and I'm just glad to be here today. Boy, my spirit's been blessed, my heart has been blessed, and my spirit's been stirred, and had a great service this morning at 9 o'clock, how we were encouraged from God's Word, and we do have a guest speaker with us this morning, and glad to have the Ogles with us, and uh, I'm excited about them coming. Uh, Brother Ogle is the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Canton, Illinois, uh, but you better know him as Miss Rachel's dad and uh, Brother Heath's favorite father-in-law, and uh, there's some grandchildren in here who call him Pawpaw, I believe, and we're so thankful to have him here with us today, and he's going to be speaking at our, our daddy-daughter date night on Wednesday night. Very excited about that. As we were praying about having them come in, the Lord put on my heart to have them come in a little bit early, and I didn't figure they would mind being with the grandkids a few extra days, uh, seeing they probably don't get to see them very often, and uh, to just to come in and to speak to us, and look, preachers need preaching too, and uh, there's no preaching like a pastor. Pastor's preaching, and this pastor needs preaching too. And I'm so glad to have them here with us today and looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, Brother Ogle is one of those that I have mentioned to you, as well as Mrs. Ogle, uh, that I have not known uh, in person very long. I've known them from a distance for a long time and have been an observer of them in their ministry. And uh, I thought about something earlier between the first two services about something I'm going to use to describe them this morning, even though they don't know me very well. 1 Corinthians 16, 18, Paul said this about Stephanus and, uh, and Fortunatus. He says, for they have refreshed me in my spirit. Uh, there's some people that God allows you to meet, even from a distance, who are an encouragement to you. And uh, I tune in. Matter of fact, I tune in. I went to Brother Ogle's devotion. He has the greatest devotion in the world. If you tune in on his Facebook page every morning, he does his devotion from a boat while he's fishing. And I'm thinking, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? To do a devotion from the, uh, the boat in the mornings. And I also tune in to Mrs. Ogle's devotions. She seems like the lady that would be the aunt that would get you in trouble, that you'd have so much fun with. And I watch her devotions, and I told my wife, even though I don't know her very well, I think I'm going to really like her. And uh, I see Macy in Mrs. Ogle. That's who I see in her. And uh, all of us know Macy very well, and I think we see some DNA right there uh, with us this morning. So we're so glad to have them here. Not only have they been an encouragement in their pastoral ministry, pastoring for 21 years, but uh, they've been an encouragement to so many families. And uh, I, uh, I am one of those. And so I'm glad to have them here with us this morning. Brother Ogle, you come preach as God has laid upon your heart this morning. Brother Heath said, said, yeah, Macy's from the Ogle side of the family. <laughs> well, I, I am uh, uh, thankful for uh, the two most beautiful ladies in the room right over there, my wife and my daughter. Uh, they're over there, and I appreciate uh, both of them uh, being here. Of course, I always enjoy being around my daughter. The saying is, a daughter may outgrow your lap, but she will never outgrow your heart. Amen? And I'd encourage you, if, uh, if you're not part of that thing that they're going to have very soon. Uh, you know, no, I didn't mean that you was getting fat. That's, that's not what I meant. <laughs> See, that's where she went. You know what I'm saying? She's like her mom in a way, you know. But... Uh, See something else, but um, 
I don't know. She knows how to play her dad, you know. She knows how to get stuff. She'll say, it's almost my birthday. It's four more months to a birthday. She'd say, it's almost my birthday, Dad. Yeah, that's right. You know how to do that too, don't you? But we're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to look at somewhere else here in a little bit, but first we're going to go to 1 Samuel. And uh, I do encourage you to be here tonight if you're a young family, for sure. But if you have children, I want you to be here tonight. I'm going to talk to you about the family. And uh, for sure, I want to help you. But not just because I've had six kids. Obviously, uh, I could give you a view of how to do things. But I want to help you from the Bible and give you what the Bible says about it. Just some helpful. I'll even give you some insight on it. The last verse I'll use for tonight will be First Thessalonians 2 and verse, uh, I think it's 11. Matter of fact, um, that's where I'll head to. And, uh, and, and it'll be encouraging for you. I want you to be here tonight if you can. And uh, it might give you, especially the fathers, um, I think that's probably where we need most help, as us daddies just need to know exactly what in the world we're supposed to do. And, uh, and when we first got going, I remember I went to church the first time, and we already had children, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember the preacher got up, and he said, Bless God, this is how you raise a family, you know. And he took the Bible, and... And I remember I went home. I says, "All right, I'm the leader of this family, and we're gonna, I'm gonna lead this family. I'm, I got this book, and I'm gonna." And, and so they all sat there, and Rob looked up and says, "Okay, what do you want us to do?" And I said, "I don't know." <laughs> I said, "I don't have a clue, but I'm leading this thing, you know." <laughs> so it took quite a while before I knew what I was doing. But uh, now, uh, 30, 30 some odd years later, uh, a little bit better seated to know what the Bible says about it. Amen? But uh, are you here this morning? Okay. Are you at 1 Samuel 30? 1 Samuel 30. We'll look at verses 11 through 15. I'll read them for you. Do y'all stand up when you read the Bible? Or Okay. Well, let's stand up and I'll read them for you. If you'll just follow along. This, this is unusual for me to use a mic like this. I want my wife to take a picture because I look famous and important with this thing on. And hopefully she'll get a picture of this so we can take it back and say, I did something important, you know. Here we go. First um, Samuel 30, verse 11. I'm going to read it. You just follow along in your Bible here. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread. And he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again unto him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom thou belongest thou, and, uh, and whence thou art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. This guy was clueless. <laughs> and David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt 
uh, neither kill me nor deliver me unto the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Let's pray. Father, please help me now. I want to help this crowd and these folks, and I do want to be encouraging. I want to pray that you help me now. I am nothing but a man, and uh, I have the most valuable thing in the world, and that's this Bible. I pray, God, that you'd bless with a spirit which helps this thing to work well. Pray, God, that you'd bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, yes, I'm sorry. This thing works when you turn on the switch. So, by the way, here, I like seeing folks at church, and we went through the coronavirus, too, where you had so many stipulations on us that it was very difficult to have the crowd. And uh, I know it makes a, a great difference when you are able to be at church and, and have your fellow Christians. But also when the choir steps up, they was amazing today. Look good-looking crowd, and the song was good. And uh, Heath's doing a good job. I really do appreciate Heath. Uh, they've been here 15 years and it's, it's not hard for me to say that I really do appreciate him, not only as what I see he, he does here, but also as a son-in-law. I admire him and I respect him, uh, not just as a father-in-law, but as a Christian and as a pastor. And uh, he's done a good job, and hopefully he'll keep that up. Amen. <clears throat> he's taking good care of my daughter. But... Um, in this scripture, we're going to find a very strange thing. A terrible invasion has happened while David and his mighty men <clears throat> have left. They went to go battle. And while they were battling, the Philistines and some people, some unsavory lot, <laughs> and they were fighting, the Amalekites came and invaded their camp. And the Bible says that they burned it and kidnapped their family, their wives and their children. They took spoil from them. Now, we know this story. We've heard about it. And I'm probably guessing that your preacher has preached on Ziklag. And you probably have heard that the men were so discouraged and distressed over it that they actually talked about stoning David. Isn't that a common thing? The first thing that we think of is we want to uh, blast the leader. And let me, let me encourage you to do this. Be very careful that uh, you don't jump to conclusions uh, with your leader. It often will look like something's wrong when actually it's not, especially when you become discouraged and distressed. Your leader's trying to take you somewhere, and he's trying to take you to a better place. Uh, if I can also remind you that many times when things bad come in your life or what you seem to think that is bad, you immediately ask God why. I don't know why we do that. It's just a natural response. So would you not also do that with a leader in maybe a church or your boss or your family, the father? You might say, the first thing I do when I get angry or discouraged or hurt, I want to look at the leader and say, Why? And so I caution you, anytime your church comes under uh, a lot of pressure or discouragement, be careful to point your finger at your leader. 
This coronavirus has upset churches all across the nation, all across the world. Missionaries have even had to come home, and that's the last thing they want to do. There's churches that have shut down and stopped. And so I encourage you that you have a great thing going here. Keep on the same track and help your pastor as he tries to uh, make it through this uh, rough time that our country is in. David is looking at his men and saying, you know, they attacked our whole group. He said, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. I'm as discouraged and distraught as you are because they've taken my wives and children. And so he's discouraged so much to the place to where he is just so distraught. He has to go to a place where he has encouraged himself in the Lord. And by the way, the older you get in Christianity, you have to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. And by the way, that's the one thing you need to know is when you get saved, that's the one access you have that other people do not have. When you're not saved, you don't have a place to go to with God. You don't have that. When you're out in the world and you're tearing it up, thinking that you're doing everything, even if you're not into the crowd of alcohol and drugs, you might be into the thing of prosperity or, 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 or uh, you know, material wealth or working or whatever it is that you're using to make yourself uh, uh, busy enough to not really care until things fall apart. And then you say, man, what am I going to do now? Maybe you lose your wife, your children, your job, your money, whatever it is your personal things but then when that happens where do you go you're not going to be able to go to your friends because they're in the same place and those peers that you're going through are not going to give you the counsel that you so need and that you so now they're, they're messed up too they're saying man I don't know what to do I, I can only tell you what I did <laughs> and then they're a mess see but when you got God you can run to him and that's exactly what David did he went as a leader he went to God and encouraged himself in the Lord and when he talked to God God said yes chase after him and go get your stuff and your family and your and your children and he did and then we come to this chapter 30 and verse uh, 11 is he starts seeing that uh, they're as they're traveling down his road his men his men see this Egyptian laying on the side of the road. Not David, but his men. So in other words, his men, his mighty warriors, his fighters, the best. I mean, these people, if you picture them in your mind, you picture guys who are big and hefty, maybe like this guy over here or something, you know, big old sword or something. And this guy right here, you know, he's wearing black and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he looks kind of big and gruff. Or this guy right here, you kind of picture these guys as being warriors. And, but they have the compassion of looking at this guy on the side of the road, or this guy right here. He's saying, yeah, me, I know. You're looking at me, buddy. <laughs> but, but big guys, and, and they have the compassion to go over there and pick this Egyptian up, feed him some bread and some figs. You know what? I, when I was a kid, I remember, I mean, figs, come on. Uh, of all things, feed a person, that would almost put them over the edge and kill them, you know. That's like those, you know, uh, those little cookie fig, fig bars, what do they call them? Fig Newtons, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I, I'd go to my grandma and grandpa's house, and the only cookies they had were Fig Newtons. And I was like, oh, man, you, mean, you know, we, me and my brother would break down and eat Fig Newtons, you know. And, uh. Then I heard that that's your favorite cookie, right? You know, <laughs> so y'all buy some Fig Newtons and bring them over, you know. But uh, anyways, Fig Newtons are pretty good now. Now that I'm old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
But you can imagine this. These warriors look over at this guy and they say, let's help him. And and then David, they bring him to David. Isn't that an excellent picture of some Christians finding this guy who's been used and abused by the world and bring him to the Lord? Isn't that an excellent picture of that? You know what? If you're not saved, you ought to be saved. And this church, its main mission, this pastor is presented as that you could be saved and you can get the Lord Jesus and you can have your life uh, changed around so that you could be saved and have a great, great deal. This guy's situation was very, very bad. Can you imagine this Egyptian sitting on the side of the road? His whole team had left him. <laughs> He'd become sick. You know, when somebody's sick, you need support. You need somebody there, you know. Are are you there? Are you with me? When you're sick, you don't want everybody just to leave you. Now, when I get sick, I like to go crawl in the bed, shut the door. Everybody just leave me alone. You know, if I die, I die, you know. And, And now my wife, that's different. Kids, when they're different, they want to throw up on you, you know. I want you to be a part of my sickness, okay. I need the support. <laughs> they lay on you, you know. It's like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. This guy is dying. He said three days ago he was, he was sick. And his situation is, here comes the army of the people they just kidnapped and burned their city down. I would say he was in bad shape. I would say that his situation was probably... A very bad situation. First of all, I mean, he was Egyptian. He wasn't even an Amalekite, and he wasn't an Israelite. So I don't even know if he was talking the right talk. Do you know what it is to be a Southerner and go up north? Man, I got called to preach, and I went to Bible college, and I said, man, praise God, I'm going to go tear it up. I'm going to go preach great revivals, and I got out of college, and I got ready to go, and God called me to the north. Help us, Jesus. I'm talking to Yankees, and and I preached my whole first sermon, and they said, yeah, you're going to be our pastor. I said, okay, praise the Lord. I got selected as being a pastor. And then they said, could you sit down and just tell us everything you just said? Because I have no idea what you said. They said, what's a minner? I said, a a minner? They said, yeah, you said the word minner. I said, uh, you, you mean a minner? I, I know what that is. They said, no, we don't know what a minner is. I said, you, it's a little fish about this big. You put it on a hook and you fish for crappie. They said, oh, you mean a minnow? I said, no. I said, man, we got a long road to go, oh, man. They said, we didn't understand a single word you said while you was up there. Language is different. He was Egyptian. And he was talking to Israelites and been working for the Amalekites. He was a foreigner, man. Have you ever been there? We went to Africa. We went to Africa a couple times. You want to talk about feeling, you want to talk about feeling different when you're the only white person there? (laughs) Amen? It's it's difficult. It'll make you think different. Black folks got an issue sometimes, you know? When they're the only one, I'm telling you, they come up and they, they touch you and they say, does that rub off? They call you Bruni. 
<laughs> you feel very afraid. Foreigner. I remember going to Kentucky and we was preaching there and, and they have little stores. They're actually little houses that people turn their front rooms into a store so they could sell stuff and that would be their business. You can go there and have a sandwich. You can buy anything. I mean, they sell everything there. <laughs> and I remember what they do is they take a, 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 a seat out of a van and they put it in front. So when you go by, that's where you can sit down and drink a Coke or whatever, you know. I remember going in one time and uh, and the two old guys sitting out there, they said, man, they sure is a lot of foreigners coming around here, ain't they? Talking about me. I said, man, I'm from further south than you are, you bonehead, you know. But, you know, when you're not from that area, you get there, you're treated different. He was a foreigner. And when you're not saved and you come into a church, you might feel like a foreigner. But you're accepted. And you're invited. And God looks at you and he says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> Doesn't matter who you are, God loves you. Doesn't matter where you are in your life, he loves you and he wants you. He was friendless. You understand that those people understood that he was one of the ones that burned them out. Who do you hate? Where's your hate life this morning? Do you hate somebody because of their political affiliation? Come on. We've been reading this book about Corey Tinboom. And she was in the Jewish death camps. Her whole family's there, and some of them died there. Her father. And one of her sisters died in a death camp. She's, and she prays for the Jewish guards there while she's in the death camp. Or Miss Elliot, when her husband was killed by the, uh, the natives over there in Papua New Guinea. And she prays for them. What's your hate life? He was a foreigner. He was somebody that they should have hated because he didn't have any friends. He was at a place, I mean, put it this way. I mean, is God going to be able to take you and put you in a situation and uh, uh, make you work well with somebody who's not a Christian so you can be a witness to them? Well, think about that. And he was malnourished, you know. He hadn't had anything to eat, and he was needing something. You know, many times what God does is he'll take somebody who's just wore out. Now, look, they might have a nice car, and they might have a nice house, and they might go to work, and you might be working right next to them. But you might not know their whole home life is just destroyed. Their relationship or their child is doing things that they would never imagine that they'd be doing it. And their whole inside is turned upside down and they don't know how to deal with it. And you're the Christian. you got the answer. And you've got to be the one that reaches them because they're friendless and they need a friend. Those two warriors or three warriors come over there. Here, let me give you something to eat. (laughs) 
Let me give you some bread. Let me give you some water. Let me give you my favorite Bible verse. This is what got me through a hard time. And this is where you're supposed to be transparent. Let me tell you what happened when my kid did that. Yeah, I mean, this is what I did when I did this. See, everybody thinks that Christians are so so good and everything. Well, I'm going to tell you, one out of four is into pornography. There's a whole bunch of you in here today. Sooner or later, you're going to have to own up to it or destroy your family, one or the other. The idea is, is that when you get to the place that you see that God wants to use you to reach somebody to get them saved, let me be a friend because he's friendless. I think about how that people come to God is because they're so broken and they need help. They don't know how to get it. Look, I came, look, I, I grew up in the South I mean, I'm telling you, I I know what it is. You know what everybody in the North says? Boy, I want to go to the South because everybody's so friendly. Everybody waves at everybody else. Everybody, and I'm telling you, they all say it. Everybody in the North, they all say, I'm going to retire in the South. I said, you know that sooner or later, it's all going to be Northerners down there. Because all the Northerners say they're going up North because all y'all are going down there. You understand that, right? (laughs) but we're going to go down there because they're all so nice down there. We're no different than they are up there. We might wave more, but we're just sinners just like they are. But if we have the capitalism on friendship, why don't we use it for God? Not that we're something, but because God's given us that chance. He was wore out and he was broken. Listen, I walked around. I remember when I got saved, I I remember that I was at the very height of what I thought I was going to be. I was working at 82nd Airborne Paratrooper and and I was physically as as good as you could be. I I was the guy that everybody looked at and said, man, watch him. (laughs) You know, and I was the guy, you know, and and, uh, and had the medals and the military garb and all that and in the right group everybody wanted to be in. And and I remember that, you know, even in the, the, with the uh, helicopters and stuff, we just got brand new helicopters. So we were, we were flying all over the place and it was big stuff, man. Except on the inside, I was a mess. And I remember getting saved, and I remember the guy that led me to the Lord. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even want to talk to him because it was about the Bible. And and he started talking to me, and and we just had him at our church. The guy that led me to the Lord 38 years ago, we found, actually my secretary found him on Facebook and then asked him, said, would you come here as a surprise to our pastor for our anniversary? And he came and he told everybody how, what a jerk I was. But no, I mean, uh, what a great time it was winning me to the Lord. <laughs> he, th- he said, we never thought this guy would be a preacher. But he, he won, won, that he won me to the Lord. But it was amazing to see him again, you know. And, and how they wanted to. But listen, I couldn't believe it. The guy won me to the Lord. And I remember him telling me, he's saying, listen. And I started going to church. 
actually what it was the next morning he was beating on my door at eight o'clock in the morning he said man we got to go to church get out of bed i was like i ain't going to church man i got saved and everything i love god but man that's too early man i'm this is my day off he's said you are going to he gets me out of bed puts me in the shower and you know we go to church <laughs> now for almost 40 years i've been going to church but here's where we are I couldn't believe that it would be so simple, but he told me, he said, now, Greg, you need to learn something. He said, first of all, you need to learn to read your Bible every day. Number two, you need to learn to pray. I'm a very simple person. I'm very simple. My wife will tell you, sometimes she wonders about me. <laughs> I remember praying. I said, God, this is the simplest prayer I know. I'm ready to have a wife. And I want to go through this thing together. I don't even, and I don't know why I said this. I said, I don't even care if she's got a couple kids, but I want the right woman who I could trust for my life. I just need that. I just need somebody I could trust. Because on the inside, I was so broken. When I got saved, God changed me. Man, I was going to go for it. I was going to go all the way. One week later, I went out to go get a steak with one of my friends, Sergeant Cepeda. I sit there, and this girl comes up to me and says, Hey, I saw you in a dream last night, and we got married. I was like, uh, and this was the prayer. I said, God, but you got to make it stick out so I can't miss it. I got to make sure I don't miss this girl, okay? Because I don't want to walk by her. And then you said, well, I put her right in front of you and you walk right by her. But it has to stick out. So then that week, a week later, this girl comes up and says, hey, I had a dream about you. I thought, well, that can't stick out anymore. I mean, you know. <laughs> she said, we got married and we had a baby girl. One week later, that's what I prayed. So we went over to Waffle House, and all good godly relationships start at Waffle House. <laughs> we got married, and by the way, she was the pretty little baby that we had. We got married. We followed God ever since. But I came from a place where I was that guy. I was a foreigner. I was friendless. I was totally wore out and broken. You know what? God changed all that. That little guy that was Egyptian, the guy that was broken, the guy that was left behind, the guy that was wore out and tore up, that was me. And it could also fit for you too. It doesn't matter who you are. Look, it could be a girl, it could be a boy, it could be, it could be a little child, it could be an old man, it could be anybody, but God has got a plan that he wants to restore people and give them a place to go one day. You got to understand, he went from slavery to where he was a servant. There's a big difference, you know. The people that are running around out there today without Jesus, they're nothing but slaves to sin. But the people that serve God are willingly giving their life to God that has changed them and said, I will serve you. 
We have jobs today. We have a, a, a family member that works at Cracker Barrel, and, and, and she has worked there for, I don't know, 25 years. And she loves the job. She loves working. She loves, and we were in a conversation, and she said, well, one thing that you have to do is that person comes in to get a, a meal. I have to make sure that they're served because that's what they come for is to be served. And I thought, wow, genius. This woman gets it. The whole reason she's not there to make a wage so much as it is to fulfill her job as a servant. You know what? When you get saved, you become a servant. You're not a slave. You're a servant. What an amazing thing. God takes you from a place to where you were, to where you are, and it's a good place. I was telling uh, somebody the other day, I was telling them, I was saying, I come from a family of Nothing but divorce, drugs, alcohol, ruin. And now I've been married to the same sweet woman for 38 years. I have six children. Now, they're all weird and crazy, but hey, except for one. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all weird and crazy, but you know what? I'm very glad that God's done what, and like he said, I get to go out and fish about a half hour every single morning. And I use it to... Tell people about how good God is to us. I encourage people every morning for their day. I like it. It's enjoyable. But I'll never forget that day I was sitting on side road. A mess. Let me tell you something. This morning, if you're sitting on the side of the road, let me tell you. There's people that want to help you. They want to feed you. That little fig Newton. <laughs> They want to give you some water. The biggest problem we have is that Christians don't realize how powerful they can be by just being a help. There's a lot of people on the edge of the side of the road. They just need somebody to help them. This morning... Uh, well, just the other day, my wife was was telling me, she said, what is that word? And I'm not going to have you turn to it, but she said, what does the word marvelous mean? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, let me look it up. I started following through the Bible where it mentions marvelous, and it's in Psalms 139. And it refers you to Psalms 136. And over 26 times it says, God's mercy endureth forever. And I started thinking about that. I think, boy, isn't God good that he gives mercy to us? And he says it over 26. But that marvelous refers to that mercy. That's one of God's works. He gives mercy. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are in your stage of life. God is looking for you to have some mercy today. If you're a Christian who's a servant or if you're a person who's a slave to sin, he's willing to change everything and put you on the road of happiness because you get mercy. This morning, it's only going to come by grace. It's only going to come by your faith in him. This morning, I'm going to tell you, you can have what you so need. He's more than willing to give it. Just ask him for it. This morning, who's needy? Are you the one that's needy in your heart? Yeah. Let me tell you, it can happen. A simple 
plan of salvation that probably everybody's familiar with is just by asking Christ to save you. Very, very simple. He doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for church attendance. He doesn't ask for you to be the pastor's best friend. But he does ask for one thing, and that's faith in his son Jesus. Let me tell you something. That's all it takes. I was on a bus back in 1981. And that boy asked me a question. He said, Greg, where are you going to go when you die? And I told him, I said, I don't really know. And I said, you know, I said, I've heard a lot of stuff. I grew up in the South, and this is a Bible built. I've seen a lot of stuff. He said, yeah, but do you know how to get to heaven? And I had to stop and think. You know, I don't even know how to get to heaven. You know, I might think that I know, but no, do you know? And I bowed my head, and I, I did what he asked me to do. I looked at the Bible verses he showed me in the Bible. And I trusted Christ. It changed everything for my life. I knew where I was headed on the other path. It was certainty death. That servant said he was looking towards death because he hadn't eaten for three days and he, he fell sick unto death. But this morning, are you looking at a path of life? Life from Jesus Christ can come only by salvation through Jesus Christ. That's how it happens this morning. You can have that by trusting him. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, it's as simple as putting your trust in him. That's all it is. He says, according to the Bible, he says, we all have sinned. The Bible says that we are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He also says that there is a price on sin. The price on sin is wages are death. The wage of sin is death. Just like you get a check at work. You get that because you worked. The same thing. You will get death for sin and we all go wow that's big but that's what the Bible says now it's a spiritual death it's very difficult but that's exactly what it says and then also that he has already paid the price for us he says but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us when you see Jesus on the cross I remember as a little boy sitting at grandma's table she pointed at a picture and it was Jesus on the cross and I said what is that picture of grandma she says Jesus died for the sins of the world. Well, I'm one of the world. I said, you mean for me too? She said, yeah, for you too. That flashed in my mind when that boy was telling me about how to be saved. You know, it brought it back to memory that I could just bow my head and ask Christ to be my Savior. This morning you could have that because God's already given it. He's already given Jesus to be your Savior. This morning you could be saved. Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning it could happen. Why don't you let the pastor lead you and talk to you? And uh, let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed, eyes closed. As our pianist begins to play this morning, let's pray together. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for the salvation that we can have through Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's one here this morning who is unsure 
Father, in just a few moments, as the pianist and song leader began, that, Lord, they'll make their way down front and have one of our folks show them how they can know that and have that hope. Lord, for those that are here this morning and may be saved, but perhaps they're as that servant on the side of the road. And, Father, things have broken down right now, and things are not what they should be. I pray you'd help them to come down and, Lord, trust, Lord, in what your word shows and how we can find our way even in difficulty. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.